And now we take you to Evangel Church in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. We are in week nine of our uh, series, Spiritual DNA. The reason why she keeps getting thrown off is because there's nine fruit of the Spirit, but we talked about John 15 as kind of the setup for the series in the first week. And so I've always got to do a double take every time I'm preparing uh, my notes to get that right. We are in week nine, which means what? We're almost done. We're almost done. Um, So it's so good to have you here today. We've been looking at... um, Paul's uh, words that he penned in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23, and he shared there uh, nine different fruit of the Spirit. There, there are nine different character traits that the Holy Spirit is wanting to produce in the lives of every believer. And today, what I want to do is I want to talk about um, one of the character traits that I believe is the most misunderstood when it comes to how we interpret this word in scripture, and that is the word gentleness. And so let's go to the Lord in just a quick moment of prayer as we prepare our hearts uh, before we get into today's message. Father, today we, as we come before you, as we open your word, Lord, we want you to speak to us today. And so, Father, may we have the ears to hear, may we have the heart that is eager to receive, and Lord, the courage to respond accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Galatians 5, 22 through 23, it says that the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our life. And what, what we started off with the very first week was letting you know that it's the Holy Spirit that produces these things, these character traits in our life. A lot of times we'll read this passage of scripture and we'll be like, okay, I'm good at those. I'm not so good at those. I'm horrible at those. And then, and then we walk out of a, of a, of a series like this and we're saying, oh, I got to work harder and I, I got to do more to accomplish these different character traits in my life. But the reality is it's not about how hard we work to accomplish them. It's about how much we yield our lives to the Holy Spirit. And that's what we talked about in John 15, that it's the importance of us staying connected and what Jesus said to the vine, that we are the branch, he's the vine. It's as we are connected to Jesus that we are all on this journey. And how many know that, that it's like, it feels like we never get to the end and we won't until we get to heaven. We're all on this journey of the Holy Spirit producing these character traits in our life. And that's why some of us can look back and we can say, okay, um, I was, I was really bad at patience a while back, but through God's help, I've become more patient. It's not as much because we've worked harder because we all make mistakes. We all fall short. It's because we yielded more to the Holy Spirit and what he's wanting to do in our lives. And so when we begin to look at this character trait of gentleness, I think that it's very misunderstood in our culture today because when we think of the word gentleness, what do we think of? We perceive it as something that's weak, right? Like if you were to pull up gentleness and look up some of the synonyms of gentleness, you're going to see words like tender, words, and I'm not talking about the app or the dating app, but tender, 
mild, soft, delicate. I mean, this word gentleness, it describes like the soap that you use on babies. The word gentleness describes the kind of shaving cream that some of us guys have to use because we have sensitive skin. Gentleness describes some of the clothes, the kind of fabric that are, is kind of soft to the touch. But, but when you look at the word gentleness in the Bible and you look at it in the original language and in the way that they used it in the culture of that day, it's far from weak. That it's far from weak. The word gentleness that's listed in Galatians 5 is in this is the Greek word proutus. And here's the definition of what that word means or meant uh, back in Bible days. The ability to remain calm and to keep a humble attitude, look at this, in the face of criticism, accusation, and offenses. Now that sounds totally different than our culture today and how we would perceive and look at the word gentleness. I think one thing that I found fascinating in, in my time of study and research is that this word was often used in Bible days to describe a wild stallion that had been broke by its master. Broke meaning that the trainer had come in and, and, and had trained and taught this horse how to, to react so that they could ride on the horse. And so when you think of in Bible days, the idea of gentleness the idea was is that they would harness the power and the strength of the horse. I mean, a horse that's, that's galloping out in, 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 the, in the middle of the pasture may look majestic, but if that horse hasn't been trained, if it hasn't been broken, then it's useless to the master. And so we see this word begin to play out in scripture. And when it comes to this word gentleness that the Holy Spirit is wanting to produce, it's not, it's not a weakness in our lives that just allows people to walk all over us and, and do whatever they want to do. It's not, it's not us always taking a step back and, and just allowing people to, to do whatever they want to do with us. No, in the Bible, the definition of what this word gentleness would be is that it is strength that's under control. That the characteristic that the Holy Spirit is wanting to produce in all of us is a strength that is under control. Paul was talking to his protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, and Look what he said. He said, for the spirit that God has given us, that it does not make us timid. The spirit that God has given every single person in this room and those watching online that have accepted Christ into their heart, it's not a, a timid spirit. That Paul says that his spirit fills us with, with power or with strength. It fills us with love and, and self-control. That's that, that strength that is under control. But if you've got any story that's similar to my story, we've had enough moments in our life where our strength wasn't all that under control, right? Like we've all had moments where our emotions and, and our responses and our frustration and our anger have gotten the best of us. And, 
And I think a prime example of this in Scripture, a prime example of, of, of some people that, that, that they had some strength, but they were lacking a little bit of control, were these two guys. Now, they were, they were disciples of Jesus, which I always find fascinating because, you know, I think that, that oftentimes we can look at the disciples that follow Jesus. Now, these are, these are the people that, that Jesus gave the mission to take the gospel all around the world. I mean, that's a pretty significant uh, mission that Jesus has given them. And here, two of these disciples that follow Jesus, they had a little, a little problem being able to control their strength. Their nickname was the Sons of Thunder. The, the Sons of Thunder. It sounds like a pro wrestling like tag team, doesn't it? The Sons of Thunder. These guys were the quintessential man's man. I mean, I mean, and, and all of us guys got that. We've got like, like he's a cool dude, and then this guy's like on this upper echelon, like he's a man's man. Like nowadays, the those that are on that pedestal to me that are just man's man are the ones that got the big beards right? Like, uh, I just think those guys just look cool. Like, like they're men's men, but, but these guys, they were the quintessential man's man. They, they were rough around the edges. They had colorful personalities. They were the kind of guys that would not back down for nothing. But it was because of, of those colorful personalities being rough around the, the edges that they had kind of a tendency to be a little aggressive and a little bit insensitive. And in in Luke chapter 9, we see their lack of gentleness get the best of them. And that's what I want to read to you today. In Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 51, it says that as the time drew near for him, meaning Jesus, to ascend to heaven, that Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He resolutely, he was determined. There was this this unwavering, Jesus had a mission and nothing was going to distract him from that mission. One translation puts it this way, that Jesus passionately determined to leave for Jerusalem and let nothing distract him from fulfilling his mission there. I think that's a lesson that has nothing to do with today, but I think that's a lesson that we can all apply to our lives, that you and I are here. We're on a mission that Jesus has called all of us, and so oftentimes we get distracted from that mission, but following in Jesus' footsteps mean that we are are resolute to the mission that God has given all of us. In verse 52, it says that he sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. Verse 53, but the people of the village did not welcome Jesus. I mean, who doesn't welcome Jesus, right? Like, who doesn't? I mean, it's Jesus. Like, who wouldn't welcome Jesus? Jesus, and it says in this, in this verse that they didn't welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. And so why did the Samaritans care so much about where Jesus was headed? Well, I think if you dig down into Scripture, you'll see that 
that the Jews and the Samaritans at one time were one nation. And to make this super easy for all of us and to not get bogged down into the details, um, they ended up separating, becoming two kingdoms. And here in this moment is some 1,000 years later of bitter hatred between these two that used to be one nation. And it was so bad that Jews that were traveling to Galilee and Judea would choose to take the longer six-day journey along the Jordan River Valley instead of the shorter route that would go through Samaria. So this disdain, this, this, this um, lack of respect for one another was so ingrained in them. I mean, think about it, a thousand years. Think of how many generations that was that there was just so much animosity towards one another that instead of going a quick route and having to go through that village, they would take a six-day journey just to go around it. Now, watch what James and John, the sons of thunder, um, look at how they respond to the Samaritans by not welcoming Jesus. It says in verse 54, that when James and John saw this, that they said to Jesus, <laughs> look, at, <laughs> look at this, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? <laughs> these are disciples. Like these are the ones that are the closest to Jesus. These are the ones that, that, that Jesus has been kind of teaching. I mean, they were in Jesus' a small group and they were learning and they were growing and and. And this is their response, call down fire from heaven and burn them up. I mean, you best not mess with the sons of thunder. They ain't playing around. They're not interested in some passive aggressive comment or giving somebody the cold shoulder. I mean, these guys want to drop a firebomb on these people for the way that they've treated Jesus. And I read that, and I, and I may not have ever wished to drop a firebomb on somebody, but I've been pretty angry with, with, with people in my life. I've been pretty frustrated at times. I've had some, some, some moments, I've had some things when people have, have done me wrong. I, I'm sure that you've had times and seasons in your life where people have done you wrong, where you've, you've had just the, the anger and the, the frustration and the rage, and you just, you just kind of feel it. Like sometimes it, it'll make you even nauseous because all of that is bottled up. And, and for the sons of thunder, they, they, there was no filter there. They just, they felt it and they let it go. I think of uh, anger and, and, and the fact that anger doesn't discriminate between ages. Like it doesn't matter uh, if you're my age, 44, or if you're younger or older, that we all get angry. Like we ran into this with our nephew or ne- uh, niece, her name's Hannah. And back like many years ago when, when uh, we hadn't had kids yet and we had this family family dinner. We all went out to a restaurant and uh, we were announcing to uh, all the family that Andrea was pregnant, um, pregnant with Jeremiah at the time. And we're at the table and, and all the family's there. And our niece, Hannah, which she was probably about five years old or so, she's, she's sitting there all to herself. Everybody else is talking and having their discussions. And she's, she's kind of, 
you know, she's just kind of whispering to herself. She's got this like real sassy look on her face, like a five-year-old has sometimes. And, um, and she's doing, you know, with her hand, like doing these uh, X's and, and Andrew's like, Hannah, what are you doing? And, and she's like, she's like, I, I X you out. I X you out. Oh, you're okay. I X you out. I X you out. She's going around the table and she's deciding who she's Xing out from the family. How many of you have ever wanted to X some family members out in your life? Holy cow. Um, if not, then you're probably the one that everybody's wanting to X. But anyway, um, <laughs> we, all, we all have those moments. We all have those times like James and John. I think we can relate. But look how Jesus response to these guys for wanting to call down fire from heaven and burn everybody up. Um, verse 55, but Jesus turned and rebuked them. He turned and he rebuked them. Now, now I like to kind of look at scripture. I didn't grow up in church. And so I, 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 I like to try to bring it kind of alive a little bit. And so I can kind of see Jesus kind of minding his own business. And then all of a sudden, you know, these guys are talking about a firebomb from heaven. And he's like, say what? Right. It's just one of those snapback responses when Jesus turns and, and rebukes them. And I got this footnote in my Bible that says that some original manuscripts, they add this, this expanded conclusion here that says, and this would be Jesus talking to the sons of thunder. You don't realize what your hearts are like. You don't realize what your hearts are like. I think that's something that, that we can all probably say about ourselves from time to time, that Jesus says, for the Son of Man has not come to destroy people's lives, but to save them. And so why did Jesus rebuke James and John? Why? Why did he have that kind of moment where he turns to them and forcefully rebukes them? It wasn't, it wasn't because of their strength. It wasn't because of the passion that they had. It wasn't because they wanted to stand up for what's right. That's not what Jesus rebuked. Jesus rebuked their inability to control and harness that passion, that strength, the desire to want what's right. And Jesus promises this amazing blessing in Matthew 5, 5 that, that I think as we kind of take a step back and we have a little bit of perspective of why Jesus would have responded the way that he responded, he said this in Matthew 5, 5, what blessing what blessing comes to you when gentleness lives in you? For you will inherit the earth. Another translation says the earth will belong to them. Like maybe the reason why Jesus responded that way to James and John, the sons of thunder, again, he's not calling out the passion or the desire for what's right or to make sure that, that Jesus is fairly treated. Their, his response was related to the fact that they didn't have a filter, that they lacked the ability to, to, to control the strength and the passion that is inside of them. And I, I don't have a problem with, 
with Jesus making a statement like this, saying that blessings come to those that, that are gentle, that they'll inherit the earth. Like if I heard somebody else say that, I think they're lying. But the fact that Jesus says that, that our lives will be more blessed when we allow our strength to be under control makes me kind of sit up a little bit and to be a little curious about what that blessing might look like in our lives. I want to give you five just quick blessings in Scripture. I'm sure there's more, but five quick blessings in our lives when we allow that fruit of gentleness to be activated by the Holy Spirit. The first one is this, that gentleness diffuses conflict. That when we have a gentle spirit, strength under control, that it diffuses conflict. Proverbs 15.1 says, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Anybody been there? I've been on both ends of that. That is true. I mean, think about some of the arguments that you've been uh, involved in. Some of them may be with coworkers. Some of them may be with family, with parents, with, with spouses. And, and there is this, this chemical balance in our mind that, that instinctively matches the voice of the person that we're talking with. And so when somebody's kind of calm and, and, and soft in their conversation, then our response, the way that we interact tends to be soft and it tends to be calm. But when somebody starts to raise their voice and to be a little bit more kind of pointed at you, what's our natural response? To raise our voice and to be a little pointed, right? That is something that is natural within us. And so when we get into arguments, spouses, when you get into arguments, oftentimes it's the loudest, most domineering voice that usually wins. Now let me give you a little, a little gentleness tip and hopefully it'll save you a little bit of headache and a little bit of conflict in your life. That when other people raise their voice at you, lower yours. Not silence it, but lower it. When other people raise their voice, you lower yours. And if you would consider doing that, like with, with your kids or with your spouse or with your coworkers or your boss, to, to have strength under control that when... When the, when the room begins to escalate and the emotions begin to go high, instead of allowing that passion inside of you to just boom, have strength under control, go lower, not higher, and watch what it does. Number two, that gentleness disarms critics. Gentleness disarms critics. And here's what I've discovered about criticism in my life, that the more successful, more well-known, the more you stand up for, for something in your life, the more critics you're going to have. I mean, it's inevitable for all of us that we're going to be criticized in our life. And so how, how do we respond to that? How do we respond to our friends and our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, family members when they criticize us? How do we respond? Sometimes it's behind our back. Sometimes it's to our face. And sometimes it's on social media. Like, how do we respond? Well, the Bible says that we should respond in gentleness. And here's the reason why is because gentleness disarms our critics. Critics. 
You see, the sad truth is, is that it disappoints our critics. And it disappoints them because all they're usually doing in your life is trolling you. Like they're trolling you to see if they can get a rise. They're trolling you to see what kind of response that they can get out of you trying to to use something against you. And so the Bible actually is clear about how we should respond. In 1 Corinthians 4, 13, it says that we appeal or we respond gently even when evil things are said about us. Gentleness. Strength under control. Think about the last time that somebody was talking about you behind your back. Think about the last time somebody posted something on social media and, and, and they may have been passive aggressive and they didn't mention you, but you knew, you know the backstory, right? You know that that had something to do with you. Like, like think about the things, the words that have been spoken. Our natural reaction is to fire back, right? It's to fire back. But what scripture tells us that if we're going to be blessed in our lives, that we've got to have gentleness. We've got to be, um, respond gently, even to the evil things that are said. In Titus chapter 2, verse 8, it says, your conversation or response should be so sensible and logical that anyone who wants to argue will be ashamed of himself because there won't be anything to criticize and anything that you say. And how many times do we, and I, I ain't got it all together, but how many times do we in our emotions response the opposite of that in an insensitive way instead of sensible, in an illogical way instead of logical? Number three, gentleness is persuasive. That gentleness is persuasive. You know, years ago, the best way to be able to sell a product was to be the loudest in the room or the loudest in, in whatever advertising space there was. I mean, do you, do you remember? I remember back when I was younger, um, the car commercials back there, back then. Do you remember those? I mean, they were super loud. And super in your face, like like yelling at you, telling you you need to buy a car because it's a five hundred dollar discount, and, and and I mean just just at you. And they did that in those days because it worked. But nowadays, nowadays, what do you do when you feel like somebody's shouting at you or being forceful? You back away. You turn the TV off. You go somewhere else. Like like. Being in, in a church, like we get people that are always calling us, um, wanting us to buy stuff. And, and you know, the people that I never call back are the ones that call me like 20 times a week, right? That's just, that's just how our culture has changed today in my context of, of being a pastor, in my context of, of really devoting my life to, to, to lead people to Christ and to, and, and to watch their lives be transformed by, by all that God wants to do in them. For, for me, what that looks like is, 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 is I, I get weirded out like when I drive by or walk by um, people that are on the street corner that got the big signs that say like turn or burn, right? And they're out there yelling and, and, and yelling at people and all that type stuff. And I'm a pastor. 
Like, I'm a pastor, and I get weirded out by that. That's just not our culture today. Proverbs 25, 15, look, look what it says. It says, with patience, you can convince a ruler. But look at this. And a gentle word can get through to the hard-headed. That's what, well, the same thing. Why does mine say headed? Hard-hearted, headed, hearted, headed, headed. A gentle word. A gentle word. If, if you're a parent, if you're a boss, maybe you're in sales. You know, this is, this is a huge thing for you, that, that, that hard demands, that volume, that, that forcefulness are going to push people away. The Bible says that gentleness that strength under control is how we get through to them. Number four, and kind of bringing this to, to a close, number four, gentleness is a witness to non-believers. You know, there was a study that was done a while back that discovered that the main reason why people don't um, come to church isn't because they have a problem with God. It's because they have a problem with the way God's people live their lives at home and, and at work and, and out in public. And the Apostle Paul, he, he instructed Titus to tell his church in chapter 3, verse 2. He said, tell them not to speak evil of anyone. There's nothing in that word anyone that, that, that segments like, like political preference or race, or age, or where they've come from, or what they look like. Like the, the instruction that Paul gives is to tell them not to speak evil of anyone, but to be peaceful and friendly, and always to show a gentle attitude toward everyone. You know, we all experience moments of, of stress and, and pressure, but when we choose to respond to that stress and pressure with gentleness instead of anger, gentleness instead of rage, it becomes this powerful testimony of what God has done in our lives to those around us. One of my favorite verses is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 20, because it allows me to understand what my role is here on earth. And, and this is your role as well. It says that so we are Christ's ambassadors. That God is making his appeal through us. And friend, as Christ's ambassadors, that we've got to understand that, listen, we will never win our enemies to Christ. Never. We will only win our friends. And here's what I mean by that, that when I look at evangelism, when I think of the idea of reaching lost people, what that looks like to me is it's me building a bridge between my heart and their heart. And it's Jesus' responsibility to cross the bridge. And so many times what we do is we... We try, to, we try to prove a point and we dismiss our testimony because we're so eager to prove a point when in reality our role as Christ followers is to, to make friends, to, 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 to have connections, to, to, 
Here's what I've learned is that people won't put their trust in Jesus until they put their trust in us. Like what good does it do to say that we're a follower of Christ and that we love to reach lost people, but then when we leave this place, like the way that we act isn't like the Bible. The way that we act is kind of us allow, it's kind of that James and John, like like we've got passion, we got desired, like Jesus never questioned that, and, and that's something that we have, but it's not under control. It says gentle attitude toward everyone. And then the fifth thing that we see that's a that's a blessing of gentleness in our life is that it makes us more like Jesus. I shared this couple verses a few weeks ago, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 29. Come to me, this is Jesus talking, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Look at how Jesus describes himself. He says, for I am gentle and I'm humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. You know what angered Jesus the most in his day? We would typically say it would be sin in people's lives, but it wasn't the sin in people's lives that angered Jesus the most. It was God's people who felt like they were his appointed judge to judge everybody in their circle. It was that kind of behavior, that kind of attitude that really, that really ticked Jesus off. And the reason why it did was because Jesus understood the blessing and the influence of living our lives with gentleness. Having strength, having passion, having a desire of what's right to, to be revealed, but all of that under control. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. God, your word's not always designed to puff us up, that your word is designed to, to really be a mirror in our life, to help us to, to evaluate the areas of our life that might not be of you. God, we're all on a journey. The Bible word for this journey is sanctification. It's, it's the idea that we're on a journey, we're in a process of becoming more and more like you. And this morning, as we look at this characteristic of gentleness. Father, as we, as we remain connected to you, that we remain connected to the vine, Lord, I pray that you would help us this week and in our lives to be understanding instead of demanding. That, Father, you would help us this week to be tender instead of overpowering in our lives, that we would be gentle instead of judgmental. But Father, as we lead our families, as we lead our relationships with our kids and our spouse and our coworkers and our friends and the random strangers that we come in contact with, Lord, we ask you that you would help us 
to not just have strength or passion, but to have strength and passion that's under control. But Father, as Christ's ambassadors, Lord, that we won't taint the appeal that you're trying to make through us, but that, Lord, we would be a vessel, a vessel willing to build a bridge between our heart and others so that you, Lord Jesus, can walk across and give them eternal life. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this morning I uh, was driving in. I don't know if any of you guys have this as well, but I was driving in and uh, there was an argument in my car on the way to church. Um, And I was the one that started it. And um, when we got into Ryan's office this morning, I had to apologize to my kids and and then Ryan teaches on gentleness. So with strength under control and some, you know, listen, it's not perfection. But I am so very thankful that he has not given up on us and that his Holy Spirit still convicts us. And so this morning, maybe you are struggling with this or maybe you don't even know the Lord as your personal Savior. And I just encourage you, you can't do it without him. And so for those of you that are here this morning and you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, maybe you're watching online and you have not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Can we just do this real quick? Can everyone in here bow your head and close your eyes? But if that's you this morning, if you have felt out of control, that your life is full of chaos, we know the one that puts it all back in order. And so if that's you today and you have had a a tugging on your heart No one's looking around. Could you just lift your hand before the Lord and say, that's me. I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Church family, could we pray this together? Pray this out loud with those that have lifted their hands. Dear Jesus, I confess my sins and I know my life is in chaos. I'm asking you today to be my Lord and Savior, to bring peace to my life, that my life will be a life that is pleasing to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, can we thank the Lord for those that have accepted Christ this morning? Amen. If that's you today and you feel comfortable, our prayer team's going to be here at the altar at the end of service. We would love to pray with you and just get you connected into uh, the Word of God and this brand new journey. If you've accepted online, we ask you to reach out to our church office this week. We would love to get connected with you. You have made the best decision of your life. Well, this morning as we worship the Lord with our tithes and offerings, the verse of scripture that came to me this morning was this in Colossians chapter 3 verse 17 and whatever you do this is New King James version whatever you do in word or in deed do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him
this morning as we worship the Lord with our tithes and offerings. We do this for Him. We do this to give Him glory and to give Him honor. There's ways that you can give. We don't pass the buckets anymore. And so there's boxes at the back on your way out the doors or you can text to give or give online. There's many different ways that you can give. And we thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving. We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and His church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.